0: Simon Wollstonecroft is a drummer from Manchester. His first band at school was with Ian Brown and John Squire. His second band became The Smiths. He played with The Fall for 11 years and continues to play drums for Manchester bands today. Johnny Marr nicknamed him Funky Sigh. This is Funky Sigh's A to Z of Manchester. Hi Simon, how are you doing?
1: I'm very well, Jackie. How are you?
0: I'm good, thank you. Good. Now, football's back. It's exciting. Yes, it is. Are you excited about the football being back or would you rather this season was just over?
1: Uh, I think I'm excited that there's some sort of football, but it'd be very hard um, not being able to hear the crowd from where I live.
0: Oh, can you yeah. usually hear them?
1: You can when they score. <laughs>
0: oh, well, so, so you can't hear them very much then.
1: <laughs> well, um, I won't hear a thing this week, so it'll be interesting to see how the players... I'm sure a lot of them like showboating, you know, out there on the picks. It
0: must be weird if you have Stuff like that, they won't be able like, to do it. No, it'd be like doing a play to no audience.
1: Kind of, yeah.
0: Uh, and I suppose you, you must get some sort of feedback from the crowd. But
1: having said that, yeah, doing a gig, it doesn't matter if it's Wembley or, you know, Pig and Whistle.
0: Really? <laughs> no, it makes no difference.
1: Not really. It's, you know, it's it's do or die for me anyway.
0: Wow, that's drummer. that's crazy. Yeah,
1: well, well, you know, you've got to put everything into it, so So
0: once... Once you're in
1: the zone yeah once you're in the zone then it's autopilot and, and you're hoping everything's gonna go okay you know technically and otherwise
0: but does it not if the if the crowd are really lo- loving it does that not make a difference to how much you enjoy it
1: uh it can do yeah it makes it easy a little bit you're still gonna play in, in an empty in front of an empty room as well <laughs> so uh but it'd be interesting to see how the players uh get on
0: yes it certainly I'm will. sure
1: some of them are would prefer a crowd because he liked winding the crowd up, you know, like Wayne Rooney did. You know, just, just like a you know, dig here, A little kick there. <laughs> but so, Marcus Rashford, what a hero he is. What a role model for uh, everybody in the country. Making Isn't, the government do a U-turn like that about pre-school uh, he fan- dinners. He's
0: fantastic.
1: Isn't that great? Yeah. Uh, he's great. Um, I don't think he's reached his potential as a player. I don't...
0: Well, he's only 22.
1: Is so that all he is? Yeah. Yeah, I knew he was young. But a withinshore lad...
0: Exactly. Uh,
1: I'm really proud that, uh, you know, i gone and done that for the kids so they, could, they don't get hungry, you know, during the day, during the summer. But
0: isn't it terrible when you think that anybody would have to do that to force that situation?
1: Yeah. Um,
0: it's a crazy thought, really.
1: You know, that... Oh, there's some idiots in the government. There really is. What's he called? Uh, Hancock... I uh, got his name wrong for a start. In a, Daniel. A, yeah, in a press conference. Get, Ridiculous. I've got no idea, I think.
0: No. And you know what? He didn't need to step up and do anything, did he, Marcus? He could have just quietly gone on with his life.
1: And now he didn't, did he? No. All praise to him. But
0: fair play to him for just no. thinking, you know what? I can't sit back and just see this happening. I'm going to put myself out there. Because he'll have got abuse, because people do.
1: Yeah, yeah you can't make everybody happy, can you? you know seeing this more and more aren't we
0: but it's great isn't it it's great that he just thought okay well i'm going to make a stand and i'm not going to give up and and this is the cause that i'm going to stick up for
1: brilliant well done marcus
0: this week we're looking at the letter f now, I think I might be able to uh, guess one of the subjects you're going to talk about, but let's have your first letter F.
1: Well, I'm always talking about the fall, so I'll, anyway, I'll start off with...
0: Please don't tell me you're going to miss the fall out of the F. <laughs>
1: no, they'll be in, a, oh, in they'll, fact, they'll here. Oh, they'll here be they in co- it somewhere. Here they come. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I first joined the band, 86, in the summer, my first big gig was the Festival of the Tenth Summer at GMAX in Manchester, the old central railway station that was a wreck, you know, weeds growing out of it for years and years, using it as a car park, they were. and uh, They did it all. I don't know what it's called now. Um, well, it's a hospital now. Uh, God bless the NHS, you know. Got all those beds in there, you know, ready. It was to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of punk rock, basically, put on by factory records. And it was a great bill... It was the Smiths, headlining, New Order, A Certain Ratio, The Fall, OMD, they were on it as well.
0: Right. And, and how, went, how long had you been with the band at this point?
1: Probably about a month.
0: Oh, what a gig to start yeah.
1: with. It was dead exciting. It was a bit like a hospital backstage, as it happened, at the g then. They just had these kind of uh, curtains that you'd see in a hospital.
0: Dividing up the the acts?
1: Dividing the dressing room areas.
0: Why? Because
1: there were so many acts. Yeah. But everybody got on fine.
0: It was a nice atmosphere backstage.
1: Yes, I'd say so. Yeah. And it was full, all you know, all day long. We went on about tea time, I think, for New Order and the Smiths. What I most remember of that, of that gig, I saw the Smiths a lot of times, and they were very good and uh,
0: you're rubbing it in now because you, you know full well I never got to see the Smiths it's like the biggest thing in my life that I never saw them but anyway carry on
1: yeah well <laughs> it was around the time of uh, the Queen is Dead album which I'm not certain but I think it's the anniversary of it 30 odd years
0: now. oh okay
1: oh 86 it's, it's more than that but it's a long time ago hmm. but Morrissey had uh, a big placard that you see in a demonstration uh, with the white board on it and the Queen is Dead, uh-huh. <laughs> he was waving this about. That's the memory that sticks with me most uh, of that day. But it's a great, you know, it was a great gig. I don't think they have many bands there, if at all, do they now?
0: I don't think so. Did you watch the other acts then as they were going on? Like, did you watch New Order and...?
1: Yes, I would have done, yeah, because I stayed, because I watched, uh, you know, in had to give Andy Rock a lift home, I think, after he'd done his duty, something. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I, I think I went back there again, no, maybe I didn't. I went to see it another, but I saw a few bands there, Happy Mondays, and it was, it was always, I liked it. You know, it's a shame you don't, it's either the Arena or it's the Apollo, there's nothing in between, it seems to me, Manchester anyway. But what, what, what there's, about, yeah? Well,
0: there's the Academy, isn't there? You can go to the Academy. Yeah, that's true. And that's true. got a few different sizes of rooms.
1: Yes. I think it held about 5,000 GMX, maybe 10,000, I don't maybe, know. Maybe, yeah. I think it might have been 10,000. Yeah. So there is one, in fact. I'll <laughs> shut up.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: i move on to the next letter.
0: OK, what's your next letter, F?
1: Well, it's F for free range, which uh, a fall song that I co-wrote on a Yamaha SY-55 that Mark bought me out of loot, (laughs) that was telling you about. We first recorded it at Dave Bush's house in Stockport. We used to go and have songwriting sessions, me, Steve and Craig, with Dave, who worked the computer. And we did a version then. We we took it up to uh, Kelvin Grove in Glasgow, to Deacon Blues Studio, to record it. And we did a fantastic version of, it was a lot funkier than the one that came out and basically Mark as he often did didn't like anything that was too slick (laughs) and he just came in and said get rid of that get rid of that it's a load of rubbish (laughs) so we ended up recording it in London you know about that period and that's the single that came out and it's the highest chart position of any self-penful song so I'm very proud to be in that and (laughs) We did a video, you know, in London, in the city of London, on an armoured car. It was called a Scorpion, I believe. And we drove around the streets of London and Mark was singing about the breakdown of uh, the Eastern Bloc. Well, it's a great song, Free Range.
0: And did you have to close off the streets or were you just filming as you were driving round?
1: We were just filming driving round on a trailer on the back of a Land Rover <laughs> was pulling it along. <laughs> and I was, I, was, I was the driver. Uh, which, you know, was okay. I was looking in the wing mirror a bit too much, so...
0: And so have you got a recording of the original one, the funkier version, the well-produced version?
1: Dave Bush has, but he lives in Spain now, but uh, I must ask him about that.
0: Well, you must ask him about that.
1: But he never put vocals on that version, you see, cos he just rubbished it. (laughs) There was only vocals done on the other version, which may have been slower or faster.
0: Depending on how he was feeling that day.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a really good, really dancey. It was free. There is a remix of the song Free Range, Simon, the other Simon that was in the band. He, he, it, was, uh, it was 12 inch, it was a remix of it, which kind of gives you some idea of how it sounded. Uh, you can get that on vinyl because I've got a copy of it, Free Ranger. Yeah, well,
0: what position did it get to in the charts?
1: It was low 40s, I believe. Yeah,
0: did you ever do top of the pops?
1: Not with a fall. But the other two, um, Victoria and Ghost in My House, certainly Victoria breached the top 30, but we didn't write it, the Kings did. Mm. Same with Ardeen Taylor's Ghost in My House. Yeah. And it must have done, Free Range must have done better than Hit The North then as well, surprisingly, because I love Hit The North.
0: I do, I think that's a great song. If
1: somebody says to me, um, oh, I've never heard of The Fall, you name me a song and I'll have a listen, I'd say listen to Hit The North. It's got it's got a lot of great elements to that. It's, uh, As a
0: good intro to the fall,
1: I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was it was you know mid period fall when I was in them. Uh, so it's you know, it, 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 well they did play it on the radio quite a lot. Yeah, they did. Uh, and, you know, and we did TV shows with it. Yeah, really like that. Still sounds great. two Franks I'm going to talk about Frank Lee first now Frank Lee was the label boss of Trojan Records who signed the fall at the tail end of their career and Frank his brother Jim Lee is the bass player in Slade or he was when they were in the pomp and when uh, when Don Powell he was in a car crash in America and and he lost his memory for a while, about you know a year or something. And Frank had to step up on drums for Slade, but he ended up managing this label, Trojan. Basically, they signed up Mark E. Smith at the tail end of well, my period. It was the light user syndrome about 1996. We've been through so many labels after we got ditched off Phonogram. I, I can't really remember exactly when it was. No. Mark said, I'll only sign with Trojan if we can be on their subsidiary of Trojan, which was Jet Records. Right. will lower on, of course. That was a stipulation, basically. It was managed by Dan Arden, famous guy, manager. It was uh, Jeff Lynne, basically.
0: Love you know, Jeff Lynne. Have you seen Jeff Lynne's documentary? No. I've oh, not. please watch it. You'll really enjoy it.
1: Right, well... He's, an, he's a fantastic writer, isn't he?
0: Yes, but he's a great man. There's no nonsense about him. He lives in California. Oh, OK. He just sits playing his guitar overlooking the, you know, the Hollywood awesome. Hills <laughs> and just seems to be having the best life.
1: Mark was a fan of the Idol Race. I think that was one of his bands. And also The Move, another Jeff Lynne band. Basically, uh, frankly, Lee worked with, you know, all these people. He was kind of the, you know West Midlands music mafia, Frank
0: <laughs> So did he sign with them then?
1: Yeah, he came up um, in a, a big blue Mercedes S-Class. that He pulled up outside, <laughs> and he came in, and I was there to witness the signing of the contract. Okay. Which I did, and we, you know we all had, had a celebration. But he came. He came with a big carrier bag full of cash. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> there was a lot of cash in this Mercedes. The Mercedes got written in, into a full lyric, which, from the song Cheatham Hell." and it goes, there's, there's no need to go berserk if you don't scratch my nice blue Merc. <laughs> <laughs> he was dead paranoid, you know, about this car getting wrecked.
0: Yeah, I bet he was. It's a
1: bit rough round here, I <laughs> he said <to> <laughs> Frank, yeah, but what a character he was.
0: So how long was he um, signed to that label then, Mark?
1: A year, at the, maybe maybe two years. Right. Not long, though. No. And he went with somebody else after that. But, yeah, what a character. And he had some really good stories, you know, about the suite. Some of them were from around where he lived, and he was the same age. It
0: was perfect for you, then?
1: Yeah, it was, yeah. It was really interesting. He said, that Mick Tucker, he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> he's the drummer, you see, out of the suite. <laughs> yeah it always always made me laugh that. Okay, it's the other Frank, Frank McGinty Now, during the Manchester years, i.e. eighty nine, ninety, I, I went to live in Manchester in India House, an Edwardian Textile warehouse place on Whitworth Street, next to the palace, sir. Uh, and it had a great time. And <laughs> Basically, Frank was the caretaker there, and Frank was an ex Green Beret. You know, was hard as nails.
0: Wow, handy.
1: Yeah, he really was. I wanted to mess with him anyway. No. But uh, for a while, Ian was staying in India House in another flat, a couple of floors up from me. And one day was we were hanging out there in the afternoon. We had a Webley Tempest and we're pinging at coke cans, you know, down in the.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa! What? <laughs> uh, oh, you had a what? <laughs>
1: It's an air pistol. Oh, OK. Yeah.
0: In the centre of Manchester?
1: Well, y- You yeah. and
0: Ian Brown have got an air pistol <laughs> and you're firing at things.
1: Yeah, we weren't, we weren't firing. We are just firing the uh, empty Coke cans. All
0: right, you're not in court now.
1: On <laughs> <laughs> the cobbles. Um, but we were doing this for, you know, half an hour, an hour, and uh, all of a sudden, you heard this... <coughs> ..on the door. Oh, no. We thought, oh, God, who's this? And 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 Ian opened the door because, you know, he he was staying there and it wasn't my flat. (laughs) And there was Frank and about six guys, real (laughs) bruisers in crumbies, (laughs) shiny shoes, you know, old guys. um, Looking
0: like doormen?
1: Yeah, or police, you know. uh, Like uh, like the Sweeney. (laughs) And he just walked in, Frank, and grabbed this uh, Webley Tempest that Ian had put on the side, took it. Turn around, and they all walked off again, and it was it was quite a moment, really.
0: And nobody spoke.
1: No, we just said, "Where's the gun?" And he took it, and then he was gone with his mates. He was so well. He was very good, Frank. But he, uh, he, he even had a, a little road at the side of the building named after him. They named it Frank McGinty Close. It's only a little road, but yeah, I wouldn't have messed with Frank in a million years.
0: So you lived in India House. Ian Brown lived in India House and Noel Gallagher lived in India House, didn't he?
1: Yes, he but it did. it must
0: have been, was it a different time?
1: It was. must have been after me. I was there two years from 1989, 90, maybe 91.
0: Was the fire alarm always going off when you were there? Always. Yes, what was that all about?
1: There was an arsonist, there was all kinds in there. It was, it was very interesting, but the alarm thing just got too much. It was
0: crazy, wasn't it? I had a friend who lived there as well and that's all that happened. We just got evacuated all the time.
1: It would, the fire engine would come at least twice a week, mm-hmm. sometimes three times a week. Can you imagine that? And they did find out who it was in the end. But it's amazing that place in the house. How many people have subsequently met who also live there? In fact, some of them still do. You know, from nineteen ninety. But,
0: but it, the- it's huge, though, isn't it? It is a big place.
1: Yeah, I was flat 95 and I was only on the second floor on the corner. Wow. Looking out over the, over the old BBC. I was doing an interview for a Smiths book many years ago, The Severed Alliance. I think I was meeting a guy, uh, a journalist, who's come to interview me and I saw him. I thought he was a tramp at first. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, but he was a lovely guy, yeah, we did the interview in there. <laughs> It's going to be the Family Bazaar. Now, this was a group I was in. It was about ten years ago. Uh, I'd always, as you know, a fan of uh, a certain ratio, Jez being bass player stroke singer. The band ratio, they weren't really doing much at the time, so Jez was going out on his own on the road. We did a few gigs and some Mark Riley sessions. It was great. We only had one record called Freaker, F R W E K A, the family bizarre <laughs> and it's a nice little video that we did we did the jez kerr thing and then we started writing together there's some really interesting stuff and liz murphy she was one of the main singers jez and her two keyboard players myself and uh, a guitarist captain Keough. <laughs> But um, just as we're just about to get going and we've got the video under our belt and, you know, things are looking great. There was a massive bust up between Captain Keogh and Tintin the Wine Merchant. (laughs) It was about playing at this gig at the Tivoli in North Wales. Right. We've been offered a gig supporting the band Ash.
0: Okay. yeah, Ash.
1: uh, Irish band. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: Yeah, I saw them. They played the Apollo a few times.
1: Well, well, he's a mate of Andy Rourke's now, Tim Wheeler, in New York. That's, that, where, yeah. that's
0: where he lives?
1: Yeah, Tim. Anyway, Tim, Tim didn't want to do this gig because he wasn't a, or isn't a fan of Ash. I think that's why. And the guy who got us the gig, Captain Keogh, he, he did want to do the kick And, it, it, you know, he just couldn't uh, agree. There's a massive argument somewhere in the rehearsal room or somewhere like that. And that was the end of Family Bazaar, unfortunately. Oh,
0: no, that's dreadful.
1: Yeah. Another one bites the dust.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> OK, please tell me your next F is for the fall.
1: No, it's not. <laughs> it's uh, the Fishmongers I worked in, uh, Jackson's... This that, is an
0: actual Fishmongers and not a, not a band called the Fishmongers.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it was a uh, Fishmongers I worked in in Wemslow. Family business, and we were selling uh, high-class poultry and game, uh, seafood, and it was along opposite the Rex there to there.
0: Oh, nice! And what year are we talking now?
1: It was just after I turned the Smiths down because I remember you know seeing them in the paper. I was reading it at work. Oh,
0: How well they were doing? Yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And uh, Andy had a sheepskin coat on that my mum bought in 1963. On the front cover of the NME, I think.
0: What, he was wearing your mum's coat?
1: Yeah, well, my mum gave it to me... ...because it was really cold in 63... ...and uh, I ended up giving it to Andy... ...and it was, he used to wear it a lot. Oh,
0: just rubbing your nose in it even more!
1: <laughs> I wonder what happened to her.
0: Ask him, find <laughs> yeah, out. Tell him, tell him he still owes you a sheepskin jacket.
1: <laughs> I was at uh, Wemslow. I worked there for about 18 months... ...and I had a white coat and a set of sharp knives... But uh, it was good laugh. I used to drive up in the 1275 GT from my mum and dad's. We used to get footballers in a lot, you know.
0: From around Wilmslow and... Yeah. Yeah.
1: But uh, one of the most famous people that came in was uh, Mo- uh, Molly Sugden, the actress.
0: From Are You Being Served?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so she must have lived around there then, did she?
1: She didn't live around there, but she... Well, she might have done. She might have had a flat round there. But she was always testing the new plays out at the Rex Theatre opposite, which became a cinema after that. Then I think it's back as a theatre, I might be wrong. It's
0: a cinema again now. Is it? Yeah. OK. It's a really nice cinema.
1: Right. Off to go. So I've never yeah. been in it. But she used to come in, uh maybe, you know, quite often, once every month, couple of months maybe, and uh in a mink coat on her own... You know, loads of back, bags from that posh department store, Cooper's. Oh,
0: Hooper's, yeah. Hooper's. Yeah, Hooper's opposite.
1: <laughs> and uh with diamond rings and a hat, you know, very dramatic uh, <laughs> entrance. I'd like some smoked salmon, she'd say, you know, and i, I, I cut it for uh, really, really, really thin.
0: Slice it with one of your sharp knives. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, she was an... I, like, I think she's a great character, and I have been served.
0: Oh, she was. She was brilliant. Well, it was huge, that show.
1: It was. It was a, a staple, you know, at, at home when I was growing up. Oh,
0: absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: And how, why did you leave the Fishmongers, then?
1: Why did I leave the Fishmongers? You must have joined another band. I did. It, that's when I joined the colour field in 84.
0: Right, OK. Yeah,
1: so I quit that. That was the last time I picked up a set of, uh, you know, Kitchen knives.
0: Can you still do some fill
1: fill it. yeah I could do all the fish can you
0: do a full fillet of a fish
1: oh absolutely yeah name a fish I'll do it for you I do you know if I go and see fish at a market when I'm on holiday um, do you know what you're looking for I know if it's fresh you know you can tell is it something to
0: do with the eyes
1: there's that um, okay good there's a few things well
0: what else tell us give us some (laughs) insider knowledge
1: you'd get kind of a, a mucus on a fresh fish uh, which you wouldn't get if it's been hanging around for a while.
0: You, know, you want the mucus on the fresh fish?
1: Yes, you do, yeah. Ooh. On place, uh, flat fish like that.
0: Right. But, and the eyes have got to be what? Are we looking not opaque? Have they got to be clear? What's,
1: they've got to be clear, Yes. generally. And you look at the gills inside.
0: And what are you looking for there?
1: A very dark red colour. If it's pinky, you know, like pinky. It's, they've, they've been hanging around too long.
0: <laughs> and you don't want to eat them?
1: No, No. I wouldn't, not unless you were desperate. Right. (laughs) The next F is the club, indie club, 42nd Street on Bootle Street it is in Manchester. Did you ever go? Yes. On the indie night? Yes. Was that a Thursday?
0: It was crazy. I thought, (laughs) was it a Tuesday? I'm not sure.
1: Okay, well I did go out for a night with Mark there once. Yeah. The two of us, we went out quite a lot. Bricks would stay at home. We'd go to the Hacienda or, you know, this pub, that pub. But we went there one day and uh, Ian's there on his own in the club. It used to be Slack Alice, the club owned by George Best, if you know where that is. They changed names to 42nd Street in the 80s. Well, Ian had never met Mark, who'd been my boss for two or three years by now. But he was always asking me about the fall, you know, technical stuff and what do you do when, you know, you go abroad, what do you take, you know, da-da-da. So he was was interested to meet him, so I introduced him and Mark basically snubbed Ian. And I just thought, oh, God, he wouldn't shake his hand. Oh, no. But Ian rose above it and bought us all a drink, a pint of lager. And when it came to Mark's turn, he didn't buy Ian one. (laughs) I thought, oh, God. But, see, Mark had already made his mind up that he didn't like these Stone Rosers who were getting more column inches than him in the um, NME and Melody Maker because we were really coming up now fast. They might have released Elephant Stone, maybe, I'm not sure. Must have been about 88. I think it was 88. I think they played Hit the North while we were in the club. Uh, Ian was absolutely flabbergasted, you know, by this uh, snob. Basically, uh, the next day, he burnt his copy of It's a New Thing by The Fall, which was an early single, I didn't play on that once before me, on his bonfire in the back garden. Oh,
0: no.
1: And it was a really awkward moment, really awkward. <laughs> you know, here's my best mate from school. Here's my boss. And they were just like that.
0: So, it's a shame, though, that he couldn't appreciate him and he couldn't...
1: No, well, also in, you know, the roses, well... Two, or three, two of them from Cheshire, see so Ian.
0: Oh, no. So that was the South... So
1: going back to that Man- South Manchester thing again, you know, the North for south, where the Sovans, Southern soft Yes. <laughs> Me, Ian and John Squire.
0: Yeah, but is it a wonder then that he allowed you in the band?
1: It is really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've thought about that myself, I must admit. Because he did go on about it all the time. Which is why I Lulu, my girlfriend, because she was from... Lately, North, yeah. later on, you know, the last time I saw him. Yeah. Which was nice.
0: So poor Ian, desperately just trying to... Yeah, yeah. ...be friends with him, and that, he was having none of it. it. There was no need for that. He could have thought... Because we know he can turn on the charm... Yeah. ...because he does it with other people. It was
1: a bit like Mick with me, though. You know, he just sort of dismissed me. They never made up, anyway. Uh, the roses shot up, didn't they? That was it. We used to see them all the time when we were abroad... You know, an MTV—they'd always be on. You know, with that fool's goal—that's well, the thing where they're on the mountain. It was on constantly, and he go, "Look at them, You know. <laughs> still- but i was dead proud of them, of course.
0: Yeah, of course you were, because yeah. everybody—you well, want people to do well, don't you, with yeah, whatever course. they're doing?
1: Yeah. That yeah. was well, this
0: very strange thing about Mark's personality. It doesn't affect him how well they do.
1: No, but they're stealing the limelight from the...
0: But they're not, though, really, are they?
1: Yeah, but when they first broke through, you know, the fall indie band, they were getting roped into this indie thing before they they went mainstream. The Roses, that is. Yeah.
0: Well, I remember seeing them at the International.
1: The Roses? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And it it was
0: was Sally Cinnamon time.
1: Right, wasn't it? That's when it was.
0: That was very early, wasn't it? It Yeah.
1: But they were stealing more column inches, and that was the thing.
0: I know, but surely you'd think... Well, we're all in this together, but I, I don't no. think that was Mark's attitude, no, not was at it? All. <laughs> but then he, you know, he'd, he'd sort out every
1: man for himself. <laughs> it's a horrible business.
0: Please tell me your next F is the fall.
1: Well, yeah, it is the F of the fall. <laughs>
0: Finally, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I first heard of the fall um, when I was at school. We had a kid called Andy Wake, who's uh, departed. God bless him. Now he used to collect all the fall singles. And he'd listen to John Peel every night. This is, must have been '76. And he used to come in with, "I've got Bingo Masters Breakout here," <laughs> and he'd pull it out, but he wouldn't let anybody actually touch it. <laughs> you know, these were sort of pride possessions. So I thought, "Oh, you know, I'm not heard him. I don't know why is he doing that." <laughs> I started to hear about them, but it was this nation saving grace in the year before I joined the album. I wish I played on that one. It's my favourite Fall album out of the lot.
0: Wow, and it's one you didn't even play on. I
1: know. I was hanging out in Hume, uh, which we're going to talk about in the H's. Mm-hmm. Cal Burns, my predecessor, used to hang out at this flat, and we'd you know bring four records, and bits of drum kits, and what have you, and guitars. Yeah, we watched Live Aid round that flat. Andy, Andy Cadman, Andy and Roger. But we had a great time there, and he, we were always playing This Nation, Saving Grace. I just thought, wow, this is fantastic. You know, Gut the Quantifier, Bombast, LA. You know, it sounded LA, you know, when you heard it, and still sounds really exotic. It's great to go there a few times myself and play it, the song LA. <laughs> and uh, we, we used to play a lot of The This Nation, Saving Grace when I first started. We would have done it. Uh, the Festival of the Tenth Summer, in fact, just before um, Ben Sinister came out, which was my first album. I'm, I'm fond of Ben Sinister. I'm also fond of Extricate, which we did in 1990, I think. We did a big world tour, you know, down to Australia with that one. It's great experience. It wasn't always easy, as it never is with the fall. But the problem was, at the end of this sort of tour, when we were in Australia, Marcia Schofield keyboard player from the Bronx. She got the boot, basically. I'm sorry, I've got it the wrong way around. It was Martin Brahma, who was playing second guitar. <laughs> was just told one evening, right, uh, you fired. The tour manager fired him. I don't know what it was about. I think Mark was a bit jealous of Marsha and Martin sharing a room. Basically, he had to fly home. We carried on without Martin. But was this Martin.
0: Mark's... Decision and he got the tour manager to do it.
1: Yes, of course.
0: Oh, okay. No, well, it sounded like the tour manager had just decided I'm just splitting up some of the band. No, no, no. so he was just acting on Mark's instructions. He was. Okay.
1: He was Robbie. He's from Glasgow, you know, he was another hard case. (laughs) (laughs) Very fond of the whiskey, was (laughs) (laughs) Robbie (laughs) the green tour jacket. I remember that. I think he took delight in it, but I felt really sorry for Marsha. And we went to New Zealand after that, and then possibly Japan after that. And uh, I stayed behind with Mark after we played Japan, because we were doing loads of interviews, you know, with the record company out there. It was good fun. Bought me a really expensive shirt. It was just you know a bit like a golfer shirt. It was in green. Uh, cost an absolute bomb. <laughs> well, everything uh, does I think in Tokyo. What a great experience it was in the fall, all round as I say, the first half of my tenure was brilliant. First five years, six years, and then it went downhill gradually and then really steeply towards <laughs> the end.
0: So the reason for the for it being good in the beginning was what? What was it? because you were on a good record label, everybody was getting on?
1: Yeah, everybody was getting on. And Mark and Bricks have been married not that long, maybe a couple of years. Bought the home uh, together in Fraswich, which was the base, you know, and everything was going great. The, sync, the, the records were doing well, and it you know it was a, sort of about ninety after infotainment. Scam really, like <laughs> the the descent started. And so,
0: what do you put that down to then? Well, obviously, Bricks had gone as well. Yeah, then.
1: Dave Bush had gone up uh, in the early nineties. Craig Scanlon... So it was sort of only me and Steve and then these newcomers that had come in. And uh it wasn't the same. And we weren't coming, we weren't selling as much, you know as many records as we'd once done. I'm very thankful to Mark, you know, for everything that he did for me. And I went to his funeral, his sister said to me, Caroline, Oh, he'd be so glad that you've come to this, because I didn't really see Mark for the last few years. As I say, I bumped into him in a pub somewhere in town, Gullivers or somewhere, and that was it. You know, I, I was doing other things then. But uh, I owe him a lot, really.
0: But was it nice to see him when you did bump into him?
1: Yeah, it was great. It was really good. It was clocking Lulu, my girlfriend, to see if she was all right. <laughs> but being a North Manchester girl, he seemed to approve of that. <laughs> he was clever, the way he put his words together.
0: Yes, I liked him, I thought he was great, you know, I thought he was great fun, but I don't think I would have wanted to work for him, necessarily. No. He was, uh, he was just very contrary and, I would say, very difficult to work with.
1: Yes, he was, there's no doubt. But that's what made him good. Because if it, everybody got an easy ride, everybody would have got lazy.
0: So maybe he got the best out of all of you.
1: Yeah, I think he did.
0: By pushing you all.
1: He did, he, he did run it like a cottage industry, it was, and he was very proud of that. And he'd go to the bank opposite strange ways used to go we used to spend a lot of time round there in a Salford van you know because we'd get the vans (laughs) (laughs) all the time until the credit dried up at the end of the career my career with it Steve Henley bass player had to uh, buy a a second hand uh, Volkswagen van it was great great van And we drove down that to do our last session, my last session.
0: Did you know it was your last session?
1: No, I didn't. Um, It was, I think it was at the Marshall Suite album, or Levitate it was. Dave Bush had just been ousted. Julian Agle's come in, doing a new album. I don't know what label it was this, this week. And it was at Edwin Collins' studio down in West Hampstead. Basically, we did a load of work, me and Steve and Keir Hardy and Simon Spencer, or the late Simon Spencer. They had a song called Inch, but we did some writing. Mark, as usual, rubbished it, and sent Julia in, um, who was now having a relationship with Mark, as well as playing guitar and keyboards. And she came in and said, <laughs> uh, right, Mark says, stop everything you lot are doing. We're only doing my songs from now on. <laughs> and that was the final uh, moment.
0: What was the conversation like with Mark then? After that,
1: he was very disappointed in me that I quit. He said, thanks a lot, Simon. I've took you around the world, you know, loads of times. And this is the repayment I get. And I felt really bad, but my situation had changed, you know, my priorities, basically. I felt bad about that, but it was cool when I saw him last time. Gullivers was the last time.
0: Yeah, he used to go to Gulliver's a lot, didn't he, and sit and have his, he did. his pint?
1: Yeah, he, well, he, he like a lot of people, uh, he loved Leroy, the manager there, lovely Leroy. He picked me up in the middle of the night once with me and Lou on the other side of Manchester. New Year's Eve, he couldn't get a taxi for love, not, he? but we were just going down this road, it wasn't even a main road, and he spot, we just drove past and he saw us, he was a knight shining eye. <laughs> Thanks, Leroy. The Fall had an office in New Mount Street, which is sort of Ancoats end of town there. It was about the shift work time after we left Phonogram. He loved it, having an office there. And he to send us in <laughs> to do stints, you know, in the little office. And, uh, what,
0: so you'd have to actually work in the office?
1: Well, when you say work, you just wanted to make sure somebody was there in case the, the, the landline phone went off.
0: And who was going to phone?
1: Well, it was never. No, no one ever rang uh, when I was in there. Do
0: you know? I wish I'd known. I'd have phoned.
1: <laughs> but, but most of the time, he, he said, "Simon, do you mind going in this week? You know, I get there at ten o'clock." John the postman worked in the office for a long while, right? Running Cox Sinister Records, which was a Falls record label.
0: How often did you go to the office then?
1: Well, he, he, he said while we were there. <laughs> He might say, can you do a week this week, Sai, And then Steve, do a week this week.
0: How long did you have the office for?
1: I think it was probably about four years. It really was a hive of activity. And we used to keep the equipment downstairs as a loading bay. So whenever we went on tour in a big tour bus, it would pull up round the back on this dead narrow street. And we'd all in the gear there. There was a rehearsal room there, the hottest one in the world, (laughs) (laughs) Gillies, which was right down by the boiler uh, in the basement, I remember that. Marble Arch pub was round the corner. Mark just liked to go there, I think, come in get his mail. It made him feel good about having a business, and it was a proper business, this, fall, which it was. And he got us the pension, Mark, another thing he did that was good. Good lad. Yeah. Steve carried on paying it. I, I paid into it for about, for about five years, maybe. Came in when I was 55 and I bought, you know, a second-hand motor. It's a nice motor. <laughs> and, so we thought about We had, you know, private medical insurance.
0: That's nice to know that Mark was looking after you.
1: Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. And uh, I remember when my mum first met him, she said, after the next day, said, oh, he was such a gentleman.
0: That's what my mum used to say about him.
1: He really could turn it on if he wanted. That's
0: what I think. I mean, he phoned my mum, because obviously I met him and was in the play, Hey Luciani. And why? Because I was only 18. Why? What possessed my mum to allow me to go down to um, London, down, down to London yeah. and stay in a flat with you, <laughs> in flat. Craig and Steve? Where was the flat? In Earl's Court. Right, I thought it might have Yeah. So I'm staying with three blokes that I've never met before because of a bloke that I've met at the Hacienda who my mum thought was the nicest man, Mark. Right, did she? Oh, she thought he was great.
1: Yeah, it was great doing the Hey Luciani play.
0: That was a good time. That was 86 though, wasn't it? So it's still within the the good...
1: In fact, the the song, the theme song from it, Hey Luciani, Mm. produced by Ian Brody. I, that was my first bit of drumming. I played on the a floor, Tom, on the middle eight over at Amazon Studios, which is uh, where the Brookside set was. But yeah, Ian Brodie, um, I bump into him now and again. But what a great time we had in London. That, along with the ballet, did so many different things with the fall that no, most normal groups wouldn't do.
0: When you look back on your time in the fall, what, what's your sort of feeling about it?
1: I've just got great memories, uh, really good. And saw the world, got paid for doing it. It was a dream come true, really. Mark, because I turned the Smiths down, and they got Ted <laughs> Favors used to rub it in about me. Oh, you're not like those other lot, them Smiths. <laughs> you know, kept me under his wing, sort of thing. And I was his wingman when we went out clubbing uh, around, the, you know, clubs of Europe or America. After about 1995, middle class revolt. I kind of lost interest. So I think it was a good time to get out. But I really appreciate uh, the chance he gave me. You know, old Mark. So God bless him.
0: Right, so we need a soundtrack for F.
1: We're going to go for The Storm by World of Twist. then one of my favourite pop songs, Toxic by Britney Spears.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) What's
1: wrong with that? Yeah, it's one of my favourite songs. Okay. The next one is The Corgis. Everybody's got to learn sometime. Lovely song. Then we're going to have a Smith song. And it's going to be London. The last one is an uh, Ian Brown. Dolphins were monkeys. Off Golden Greats album. This podcast was produced and edited by John. Post-production is by Carl Svensson at Tadar Media Limited. Music by Colin McGrath, Joe Brown, Johnny Smale and Simon Wollstonecraft. And the artwork is by Lee Dyer. This has been Funky Size A to Z of Manchester.